Hello everybody and welcome to the next episode of Confessions of a Letting Agent. Um, today we have two guests. One is my uh, co-director, Ollie Lawson. Ollie, how are we doing? I'm doing well, thank you. And we have Mark Stokes on our podcast. Now, um, if you don't know Mark, I suggest you Google him immediately because this guy is, um, for someone like myself and Ollie that work in property, this is one of the guys to follow. Um, Mark, how are you doing today? I'm very well indeed. Thank you, Ben, and thank you for inviting me on your wonderful podcast. Thank you for coming on, Mark. Thank you for coming on. Um, so, Ollie, do you want to run through what we're going to cover off today? And um, yeah, let's, let's get into it. Yeah, I think, um, well, because we, we've been working with Mark now for, uh, for a few months, um, and we've just seen a lot of value, haven't we, in, in what in what Mark does and um, and what he offers. Um, and we just thought that it would be great to be able to offer some sort of some of this value to our um, or a little snippet of this value to our uh, to our listener base. Um, so it would be Mark's kind of an expert in a lot of areas of property, um, but um, I'd say he kind of well we'll let him introduce himself in a minute. Um, but he, he kind of specialises in a lot of investment. Um, SAS, I know you know a lot about Mark, um, and we're start, starting to learn a little bit more about it now, finding it really interesting. Um, and it was just to try and help people who want to take that next step in 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 property investment, really, um, and, and and offer them some value. So yeah, I wondered uh, if you wanted to give us a bit of a rundown, Mark, on um, on your your CV, the highlights of your CV, inc- including the uh, Marathon de Sables. <laughs> oh yes, Ollie. Ollie loves you for that, Mark. He always goes on about that one. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Okay, well, a bit of a bit of a skip through my uh, my, my life and times then. Um, so, uh, yeah, born and bred in Lincolnshire, um, had quite a conservative upbringing, and uh, ended up going to university, following in my father's career as an engineer. Um, I did a, a construction degree at Sheffield City Polytechnic. That's how old I am. The word polytechnic is almost phased out of the English dictionary now. Snap, um, Mark. I also went to that uh, university. It was called Sheffield Hallam when I went. But yes, yeah, Snap, we went uh, to the same the same university. And, youthful <laughs> <laughs> um, and when, I, when I left um, uh, university or, or polytechnic, um, the there was a, a big sea change and I've always I've always hit certain markets at the right time it's just a, a knack I've probably had through good luck or good judgment but British Telecom were losing their monopoly on the, the local fiber uh, local copper network and it what it meant there was a huge amount of US interest and a lot of overseas money coming into the UK uh, to look at building in fiber optic networks and I joined a, a US company. It was a joint venture at the time between uh, David McCourt's company and uh, Peter Kiewit and Sons. And we put in, over the course of the next about 11 years, uh, around about 1.5 billion US dollars in wow. infrastructure, not just in the UK, but across uh, EMEA. And, uh, and that took me to, to run the Asia Pacific region as well. So we were putting in large-scale fibre networks over land, over, uh, under the water. Yeah. Uh, fibre networks were connected to um, power stations and data centres. So I was heavily involved in real estate construction. And uh, when that came to an end in 2001, uh, we set up uh, another company um, within a, a UK PLC, okay. looking at design, build and operate of data centres. And that led me to um, becoming MD of that business uh, with my uh, 
with my fellow uh, directors. And we grew that business to about 60 million turnover and then sold our stake back to the PLC. Wow. Rather elegantly retained our, our positions as well. So we got okay. the best of both worlds as shareholders. So masses of experience of the corporate, the corporate side of side of life. And, and not afraid of big numbers. No, not afraid of big numbers. I mean, it's uh, they have to be treat, treated with with respect, and it's the it's the stakeholder management in in my experience that has been crucial. Understanding the stakeholders. One of the best pieces of advice I was given all those years ago was was walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. And in terms of negotiating, you know, tens if not hundreds of millions of pounds worth of high value deployed contracts, you know, just. Understanding that there can be a place where everybody gets what they want out of the deal. Mm-hmm. You've just got to be transparent and open up that conversation and, and, as I say, walk a mile in other people's shoes. So that, that took my corporate career through to 2015. I retired in my mid-40s. Right. I had four children. Uh, I was sat on the board of seven different companies. And I realised that the, there was going to be an eighth and a ninth company in due course. And okay. the company I was on the board of, uh, the less time I was spending with my four children. Fair so enough. I okay. To navigate a path out, but um, so I guess challenging tradition has always been part of my my DNA in corporate life and, mm-hmm. and in personal life, and you know, really pushing myself to running multiple businesses and and, and huge budgets at a very early age and. Ollie, you, you mentioned maybe some of my ultramarathon running experience as well. Like, you know, I, I've always been very driven, both business-wise, family life, and and uh, likewise in trying to push my body as well. To well, Ollie's got his Ironman mark. Um, is it in? F- how many weeks have we got left? Well, yeah. this is in less than three weeks. But Mark, I actually. I ran a marathon on Sunday in, and I set off at six, no, it wasn't six o'clock. I meant it set off at six o'clock. I set off at 6.45 and it got to about 18 degrees and probably about 18, 19, 20 miles round. I was thinking, how the hell did Mark do this in the Sahara <laughs> and then have to do, and then do another, was it another four days or another five days? It was, it was one, one's a double day, isn't it? How, how did he, how did he manage to do that? And I'm, com- I'm complaining about one day. Wow. I think once you set the set the target, and I've always been one of those people who, if I set a target, the target's done. I've just got to work out the mechanics of how to how to get, get there. Mm. Um, but the one thing I learned with with ultramarathon running was there there are two types of pain. There, there's the pain that's mildly inconvenient, you know, toenails falling off and chafing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is a grim experience. Oh dear. But they're, they're, they're mildly inconvenient, um, and there are others, uh, you know, exposure, hypothermia, dehydration, things that will, will take you down very, very quickly. So whether you're mountain running or desert running, um, but just having that grit and determination and having the, the point of reference, and I, I think as, as life as whether it be directors of a business or as entrepreneurs or in personal quests, you know, having that North Star there, that's something mm. that's always there. It's evergreen, omnipresent, um, and it provides that, that, that guiding that guiding light to achieving what you set out. And and I, I vividly remember crossing a lot of finishing lines in all kinds of states, to be honest, um, 
whether it be the MDS or London Marathon, you know, or typically my my events would have been 50 or 100 mile runs that you'd finish at maybe two or three o'clock in the morning between two stakes in the ground and you know a guy with a little tent yep. and a brew <laughs> and, and it's that sitting down that quiet contemplation not enduring or, or enjoying the adulation of the, the you know the flocking crowds because mm. there weren't any in the middle of a field in in, in wales um, but just that quiet sense of satisfaction that you set out to achieve. Yeah. That, that to me, I will never forget that moment. Um, and that's, that's priceless across every, uh, every attainment of every goal I've set out to achieve. And Amazing, man. We do it. We do it for ourselves. I think Ollie's going to nail it, Ollie. I think you'll, I think you'll, I think I'm, I think we'll see. Good. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Matt, just one question before we go back to property. Any more challenges set for the future for yourself for, for this ultra marathon running? Mega challenges. Is there anything you want to conquer? No, I don't think so. I think um, now I'm, I'm more focusing on rather than the two, three, four-hour training runs and events that Ollie's priming himself for at the moment. Um, I more choose to spend the time with my my four children. They're, they're growing up mm-hmm. and they're growing up all too quickly. So I tend to tend to work a lot more closely with them and enjoy some of their pursuits. So. Life goes in various phases, and uh, I'm enjoying that. Oh, amazing! So, bring it back to property then. Sorry, so we're coming to the end of your big corporate career or of with these with with with, with the multiple businesses, 2015, and then what happened next? So yeah, I, I sat down with my my uh, uh, CEO and said, look, you know, this is the direction I want my life to go. I want to be a good leader and. I, I had an inkling that she wanted to sell certain assets in the company, so I, I stayed another nine months to do the to do the role nobody really wants to do. You know, closing down businesses, transformation, selling, uh, and that means uh, restructuring. And we all know what that means in business. So, uh, so I did that and came out of the business actually in uh, May two thousand and fifteen. Pretty shattered, to be honest. I, I worked just as hard there, but the, there was a key difference, and a switch went. Before I sat down with my chief exec, I'd made the decision: I'm out of this business. And that was the mindset shift. From that moment on, the business worked for me. I didn't work for the business. Right. Now, I probably put more hours in, or just as many hours in as I'd ever done in the remaining nine months. But I was now focused on my economy. And, and the things that are passionate to me. And I think that for anybody who is looking to leave corporate life in mm-hmm. whatever way, you know, just, just focus on that. Focus on making that distinction, uh, and then you'll really understand what taking control of your economy really feels like. And you can do that and have a day job as well. You know, I work with many people who love what they do. Um, they're in all forms of business. Uh, one of them's a GP. Um, right. She would never be anything other than a GP. She absolutely loves it, but she's still building an extensive property portfolio in the background as well. So is, is that what switched then, Mark? Was it the actual, if you were still doing the same hours in the job, um, was it your investment mindset that had switched in order to give you um, enough returns to be able to get, get you know, do, do whatever you like to do in, in, the, in the next few years and, and, and give you time to do the, uh, you know, spend the time with kids and do what you're passionate about? Yeah, it, it was. It, it was my approach to investment. It was my approach to money. Mm-hmm. It was my approach to spending. It was my approach to 
how I deployed my time. And it was more, um, more long-range thinking as well. I wanted for nothing. I was very well, handsomely taken care of in corporate life, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a lifestyle that was accustomed to that as well, like, like maybe, maybe many others. Um, but I started to rein things in. I started to look at you know, what examples we were teaching our children mm-hmm. about hard work, hard effort. Delayed gratification, things like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly, things like that. And um, I've, you know, been in, had the privilege of working with many successful people over over the last three or four decades. And um, quite often, the successful, the really truly successful people, who have generated a lot of wealth, and I don't mean wealth just in monetary terms, you know, the wealth of life. Um, they don't surround themselves with lots of toys, lots of stuff. Mm. Um, they know how to enjoy experiences and have that life of choices where they can spend time with the ones they love to be with. Um, so I, I, I made a, uh, a meaningful departure from the, the life of you know, the capitalist toys, if you like, and had my expensive cars and things like that. And they, they're lovely while they lasted, but... But now it's about um, the life of choices, who I spend time with, and, and that is the most meaningful thing to me, to be honest. You're so right. Just a quick interlude there. I know, Ben, you shared on social media last week, um, it was a, a picture of, it was Zuckerberg, wasn't it, and how um, he'd asked a couple of people to his dorm um, oh, yes. to start Facebook. Anyway, there was, there was five that he'd asked. Two of them turned up, both of them now multi-billionaires, um, and they chose to come to that meeting. And then there was also how much it had, was it how much it had cost him to set the business up or something? So it was, it was like, you know, if you, if you choose to buy a, you choose to buy a, a brand new iPhone, that's, you know, it's a thousand dollars. Um, oh, I can afford that. But then the actual cost of setting a business up is a thousand dollars. Oh, no, I can't afford that. Too risky. <laughs> too, yeah. too, too risky. Yeah. That was too risky. Or the, the cost of, um, or the cost of groceries, I think, wasn't it? Was it like, Hundred quid for like healthy groceries. Oh, that's too expensive. But then you know, dinner and dessert, hundred yeah. hundred dollars. That's uh, that's absolutely fine. So it was, yeah, it's just it's just about making sure that you prioritise the yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the big choices and, and making the right decisions. Yeah. So then, Mark. So then, two thousand fifteen. You're out the corporate world, and then you started building building a property portfolio. Where, where did this take you next? Then. So yeah, as uh, as Ollie mentioned, I'm, I'm not afraid of big numbers. I've, I've been in the world of high finance and uh, you know, a lot of infrastructure spend. So I was naturally drawn towards the larger scale uh, developments. I'm not a big risk taker, so I was looking for the right type of strategy that suited my risk and return appetite. Um, I didn't have the appetite at the time for, for long-term planning risk. Uh, so permitted development uh, afforded us a great opportunity there. Um, so commercial to residential conversions, we've built a fantastic business based on that. We've done over 300 um, apartments uh, converted and increasingly now new build houses as well over wow. the last five years, around about 80 million GDV, uh, generally wow. across the southeast of England. Um, so that's that's been the, the core of, of what we do we've also grown a, a training business as well but predominantly 
um, our number one business is we're, we're developers. That's what we do on a day-to-day basis. So, Mark, when you started out in property, so we've got a lot of landlords who are kind of, um, you know, dipping their toes in at the moment, probably, you know, potentially got other roles on the side that they, like you say, they enjoy doing uh, GPs, you know, other professionals in, in, in different um, different areas. Um did, so they'll be buying, you know, one, maybe two, maybe three um, properties and, and doing single doing single lets. Did you start off on the single let route? Did you or did you did you kind of go straight in and think, oh, well, actually, I've already graduated that course. I, um, you know, I'm, I, I can do I can do the development here and lock in a bit more value. So I, in the first six months that I left corporate life, I, I bought 14 properties. <laughs> in six months? <laughs> okay. Just to, uh, just to get going, to be honest. Um, but I learned pretty quickly that buying buy-to-lets wasn't for me. Um, and very quickly, I turned that into creating buy-to-lets. Mm, so I okay, okay. But you started on that route, though. You still started on that same... A lot of people seem to start on that same step. Yeah, exactly. yeah. To understand the basics, there's yeah. a basic mm-hmm. uh, molds there, basic um, philosophy to, to build on. However long you dwell in, should we say, phase one, yeah. some people never move from phase one. Yeah. I've got a good friend who's got 80 bytelets, and they did the first one, and then the second one, and now they've got 80 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and some people never do anything different than that, and that's great. It's knowing your economic equation, as you've heard me say uh, yeah. a number of times before. For me, I knew I wanted to scale up a lot quicker. So our first development was um, 16 apartments, um, commercial to residential conversion, mm-hmm. and then we've we've had umpteen more in the 20 to 60 uh, apartment range. So wow. that's the, the sweet spot okay. for us. We we potentially could go larger but we're just concerned on concentration risk in any one area so we choose to have you know readily accessible stock but also enough liquidity in the market to uh, to sell those where we are in due course okay great yeah thanks thanks very much for that um i just i wondered you you always talk about um property being an ideal vehicle for wealth um and i know you 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 don't kind of get to hung up on it being just property it's 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 business to you isn't it it's business and and i think that a lot of people including myself get a bit lost in that um so what do you what do you mean by that by by it being it being the focus is on business rather than on kind of the emotions of property so i i love property in all, all its forms yeah it's uh you can leverage it it's got capital growth you Create equity, cash flow, you know, all of those features about it. But I firmly believe nobody came out of the womb wanting property. Um, so or or to be an estate or a letting agent. Exactly. <laughs> it's a vehicle to, to another place. Um, and it's all about the, the personal economic equation. How does it serve you? And I think the big sea change for many people is Clause 24 and moving yeah. from holding yeah. property personally to holding in business. It's in one fell swoop, it professionalised a whole swathe of, mm. of investment decisions. And let's face it, it gave quite a lot of heartburn along the way. Um, but in terms of the, the tax efficiency it has for us, you know, we've, we've built businesses, we've sold businesses, we've started businesses up. And I know the, the tax breaks and tax efficiencies. 
you can work really hard creating wealth, but if you can't protect the wealth. Yeah. So it's creating this circular economy where, where funds flow through um, in and out of all various stages of our business and various structures so we can build on it, create that compounding effect with minimum degradation of, of tax. And don't get me wrong, I have no problem in paying paying tax. No problem at all. In fact, it's a great feeling to pay tax because it means I've exhausted every other opportunity to... Uh, uh, <laughs> it's to a good way to think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, I also really enjoy giving back to society in other ways. Um, mm. Just literally got great news that we've got permitted development for a, um, a commercial to residential, which will be um, supporting um, the end of, of uh, or alleviating street homelessness. Mm-hmm. So that will create tens and tens of thousands of homeless bed nights over many mm-hmm. years to come. And that's a great feeling. feeling a great yeah. contribution yeah. back to society. So you know, creating shared value comes in many forms. And that, I think that's a, a vanguard of the type of business that we created. So, so Matt, just on that then, would you would you agree, sort, sort of one mistake I see, is, is it arguably a mistake or not that we, we found with our clients, our new landlords that are just dipping the toe into property for the first time, um, you know, they haven't done the research, they haven't, you know, um, followed the experts, they haven't read any books and they start buying properties um, quite quickly in their personal name. Would you agree that's quite a common mistake if people haven't researched into it enough that you, that you find as as well? Yeah, I think I think barreling into anything without some forethought and a, a you know, pause for thought is is, is dangerous. Um, I see a lot of focus on people people focusing on the property, and that's that's working hard and and that's fine, and so you should. But I think a little bit more attention on the structure, yeah, yeah. business acumen of how you acquire it and what you acquire it in. Um, because again, go back to clause twenty-four. It's, it's a great way of um, creating wealth and then giving a substantial proportion of it back to somebody else. In this case, HMRC. Um, so um, yeah, it's 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 a business decision. Uh, it needs bank grade due diligence at all stage. And why bank grade? Well, mm-hmm. because the bank are generally funding these assets, so it's, it's, as a minimum, it has to pass muster with the banks. So so for me, um, it's uh, not. It's it's the not enough thought into the, the the structuring that is the common mistake. And that kind of goes. There's, there's like that liquid thread running through there of um, of you um, saying that the uh, that it's you know it, it's business. It's not property. Don't worry about the colours of the walls and the uh, and the, um, the 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 nice uh, decor that you've got in the property. If you haven't got it set up right. If you haven't got you know. Don't worry about the insta Instagrammability of it um, unless you've actually got it. Got it set up right and in the right in the right vehicle, so that you're you're paying the right tax. You're right, yeah, yeah. Get the get the priorities right, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So just on the next question, so 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 myself and I have been following Mark for a while, and we we've actually um, been on Mark's uh, course. We still are on Mark's course. His twelve month mastermind on on SaaS and commercial um, development and properties, and it's been absolutely amazing. We're a few months in now, and. and um, what a mentor Mark is, and, and me and Ollie are just literally... And Nigel, And actually. Nigel, sorry, yeah. yeah, absolutely amazing team they are. And the, the, Just on our property journey, my and Ollie's learning, the latest, what we're learning about now, and, and, and one of Mark's expertise areas is actually SaaS, how to use SaaS 
um, to help you with your um, everything to do with your growth and portfolio and your financial position and everything that goes with that. Um, Mark, would you explain what is SaaS in, in a very basic form? Because it took me a while to get my head around it. But Mark, sorry, he's also got quite a few books out and um, I've read two of them and they're absolutely amazing. But Mark, what is SaaS for the, for the basic landlord listening to this now? And he's thinking, I've never heard of this before. What is it? So um, SAS, uh, double S-A-S, it's an acronym like many things. Uh, it's a small self-administered scheme. So it's a pension scheme. And it gives you the ability, and if you think back to 2015, my mantra to myself, I wanted to take control of my personal economy. But I'm 45, how do I do that? So um, the biggest bank account I couldn't control was my pension. So I set out that task for taking control of my pension at 45. And I came across this thing called SAS. And it was almost felt too good to be true, to be honest. Uh, a SAS, you set it up, it, it's, uh, it's not a company, you set it up as a, a trust, and you become the trustee of your own pension fund. There are rules to follow, it's approved by HMRC and the pension regulator, and you can have not just yourself as a trustee, you can have up to 10 other uh, trustees in your SAS. So you can have up to 11 trustees. And it gives you the privilege, and it is a real privilege uh, that HMRC allow certain people who pass certain criteria the ability to operate their own pension trust scheme. Um, we use ours extensively to buy commercial property. You can also um, lend money to your own company under certain circumstances. It's called a loan back. You can uh, do third-party unconnected loans. So we are not connected in blood or business, so I could loan to you or you could loan to me. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's a, a, a loan transaction. You can still um, invest money on the stock market. You could invest in gold bullion. Um, so it, it enables you to take control and make your investment decisions. There are boundaries that you need to stay within, okay. but they're pretty wide. It gives HMRC gives a very lush green pasture to grazing as, uh, as SAS trustees so this is very much for business owners limited company owners um, it, it, it wouldn't work sorry if you if you're actually sorry employed by somebody else it, it's more for limited companies um, owners well I guess with the increase of um, property ownership many people own their of properties in, in a company and have a day job as well mm -hmm. so it, it's quite often referred to as a director's pension so if you're a director of your own company um, then most certainly that's something that you, you should certainly be aware of now a SAS isn't right for everybody it really isn't it needs a lot of thought and when you're clear or if you're clear that you would like to go down a SAS route before you do stop pause for thought and decide have I got the the wherewithal, the knowledge, have I got a clear strategy of what part I want my SAS to fit in context with my overall wealth. Um, so it's really important to take those right steps. And I, I, I did all this research in back in 2015 and 2016 as we set our SAS up. And I enjoyed it that much, but equally I then had people giving me questions, asking questions uh, to me. So that's where I, I wrote my book, uh, SAS Pensions, um, which really complements some of the other books I've got on 
commercial property and property and, and SaaS um, to try and help people really and we, we then established SaaS Alliance again to to help people understand and, uh, and I, I described my first 25 years of corporate life as being in the SaaS wilderness because I generally I didn't even know those four letters existed um, but did it did it make you think differently about pensions as well then Mark because I think that for a lot of people listening um, you know my, myself included I guess I'm kind of moving into midlife now but yeah like in the early days um you know i I used to have a a a fairly decent job in working in london um when they said do you want to tick the pension box and and get your employers to pay i was like well yeah all right do you want to pay any extra no not really because you know i won't be able to touch it till i'm 65 or or later but i think that, that that this has definitely opened my eyes um into being able to use it as a tool for now um and that's what I love about it. The kind of the, the, the immediacy. I know you can't, you can't obviously touch it and there's, there's, um, you know, there's restrictions on, on when you can actually withdraw it in inverted commas. But, um, but yeah, it definitely changed my outlook. And, and I, I think that, I think it, it, there's a bit of a mind shift, um, mind shift thing there as well on the, on the old pension front. Absolutely. There, there is. Um, I wrote a book called Advice to Your Younger Self because I've got a real passion for helping helping the youngsters, you know, the teenagers, um, to be the best version of themselves and not waiting 30, 20, 30, 40 years to learn things the hard way mm. and that step up in life. And uh, one of the things I've observed over the years is it's very difficult for a somebody who's, let's say, a teenager to think about life when they're in their mid-30s yep. or when they're 40. Of course. I mean, that's twice the age that they've been on this planet. Um and if we can help equip them, you mentioned delayed gratification, if we can help them think about that long-range horizons, setting out a plan. When you start talking about, well, I'm 17, 18, 19 now, do I tick the pension box for when I'm 55 or 65? I yep. mean, that's half a century away. I mean, you're talking a long time there. But the youngest SAS trustee I know uh, was 19 when they had their SAS set up. Um, Where were you when I was 19, Mark? Um, but you'd think how that wheels of compounding could have happened Um, but to me one of the most important parts of having a SAS is the ability it gives to nurture and curate a different type of understanding and awareness to long range money some people will call it pensions but that wealth creation um, in the eyes of the younger generation this mad dash rush to create a legacy. Well, we've all seen what happens with when a, a lottery winner um, makes a, a load of money and, and then mm. it just changes their life for the worst, you know, a few, mm. few years later. Well, you know, that curating and nurturing the next generation to, to understand and be the custodians of that legacy, that is an incredible, while you're still alive as well. Mm. Um, rather than, you know, the kids turn up at the solicitor's office and, yeah. and see what's in the will. You know, I, I actually want to have the that enjoyment of mm-hmm. 5, 10, 20, 30 years helping and supporting the kids grow and, uh, and and become better custodians of the legacy than I am. You know, that's that's growth, that's evolution. Absolutely. It's just, it's just having that knowledge, isn't it? When, when you're younger, 
you know, the education system, nobody teaches you about, I know Rich Dad Poor Dad always says, no one teaches you about money, you know, no one told, tells you how to handle it. When I was 18 or 19, I went and got a brand new golf on finance and, um, you know, that, 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 you, you don't realise when you're young, do you? But you're right, Mark, if you can help educate, this guide them, um, you know, then, then they can be better than us when they're our age. Now, goodness, if I knew a little bit what I know now, then, you know, I might have... Um, that's only half the story, though, Ben, isn't it? What about the upgraded exhaust? Did that go on the credit card? <laughs> the upgraded vault and, uh, and the extra big alloys. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but um, so yeah, so so Mark, yeah, I mean, SAS from from what we mean, all you know, it's a very powerful thing, it, it, and it is an amazing thing if you're a serious property um, investor and you want to really, you know, better yourself um, in life and wealth for your family. It's, it's something to look into, and I would um, strongly advise anybody. Um, that's, that's listening to this now, listening to Mark and what he's talking about with is to, to have a read, read his books, listen to him. He's got his podcast he runs as well. And there's so much information out there, um, you know, all this knowledge that's out there to, to, to educate yourself. It, you know, you really can, can um, yeah, kind of help yourself and help everything one you do. The, one of the largest costs for any property developer is their cost of funding, cost of finance. And as an example, we've just recently bought a commercial piece of land um, and we bought it with a loan back from our SAS for a, a third of a million pounds, about 325, 330,000. And the cost of that transaction was 300 quid and 1.5% per annum interest. Wow. That's not bad for a 12-month bridge, is it? <laughs> wow. <laughs> no. Which makes you more competitive, makes you feel good, you're in control, more <laughs> profits, therefore yeah. more equity chance to hold property longer, generate cash flow. Um, and it, it really is. But a SaaS isn't a be-all and end-all. A SaaS sits in that ecosystem, that circular economy, where funds flow. You know, out of a business comes tax-efficient returns, employer contributions into the SaaS. SaaS swells, loan back gets bigger, and then you get lower cost of borrowing and more of it into your property business and so that circle continues fantastic absolutely great advice mark and so for our listeners who wanted to get who wanted to learn a little bit more potentially about you and nigel um or about echo academy um where would be a good place for them to start is there a certain resource um you know is it is it as simple as just going to your website or is there a certain podcast that you think oh well, this might actually be quite a good listen um, if you were just about to put your foot on that ladder. Yeah, thank you. There's three, three areas. Um, if you subscribe to the Property Portfolio podcast, so Nigel and I do a, a weekly podcast there, uh, you can join our Facebook group at Equa Academy. Academy. That's E-Q-U-A, Equa Academy. Mm-hmm. Or join us on our website, which is equaacademy.co.uk. And there's lots of free resources you can join up for and there lots of videos and templates and things and uh, if you're interested in mentorship which we've been doing for about 23 years now um, there's a link there and you can book a call with me and have a personal chat with me and see if it's right for you brilliant brilliant mark amazing i would well, i think we both can highly recommend it yep. absolutely amazing um have we got any more serious questions for before asking this this funny story question um no, I don't think so. I think it's just been, it's just been, you know, we haven't followed a rigid structure, have we? It was just a kind of loose chat, um, just to try and, um, 
just to, yeah, just to tell people how 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 much value we've had out of uh, out of you, Mark, and uh, hopefully uh, get get you guys shared around a bit. Um, you know, um, and just see if uh, see if you can help other people as well, like you've helped us. Thank you. I mean, it's been a privilege. You guys have built a wonderful business there. You're doing great things, and uh, it's just great to be working with high achievers like yourself. So, well done, you. Oh, thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. So, as we as we come to a close for this podcast, we always ask everybody that comes on our uh, podcast for a funny story they have uh, come across that's happened to them in in property, and uh, I'm sure you must have a good one for us, Mark. Mr. Unflappable, I can't I can't wait to hear what this is. Yeah, what got you hot under the collar, Mark? <laughs> There's probably a book in that one. Aren't <laughs> um, so th- this all uh, this is one of the best pieces of advice I was given, and it, it goes back about twenty years ago. I I think I mentioned Nigel and I. We started a, a new business, a subsidiary business of the UK PLC. And the board, one of the board members of the PLC came to meet us on the first day. And bearing in mind this job, I turned up and had to hand over a five-figure check for my buying my shareholding in the business. Wow. So I turned up, and uh, this guy, we'll call him Colin, he said, uh, he said, I know you guys are, are going to be great in business, got a real feeling that this business is going to be about scale. And over time, you're going to have to scale this business. And that's going to mean people. And you're great team leaders, you'll be wonderful at that. But I just want to give you one piece of advice. And it's not just in business, but it's a piece of advice in life. He said, Nigel, Mark, no wankers. (laughs) (laughs) I've lived that for the last 20 years. And uh, if you want a life of choices, decide to live it with no wankers. Very good advice. I don't swear very often, so maybe I won't go to heaven. It's it's certainly well. I will have to put a censored uh, tag on this uh, on this yeah. podcast now, Mark. Yeah, thank you. Good advice, though. Yeah, very good. <laughs> very good. Right, brilliant. Thank you, Ollie, for your time today, and Mark. Thank you, absolutely amazing. Thank you. Uh, hopefully, we can twist his arm again and get him back on. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely at some point. But um, I'm sure all the listeners have found it um, really, really interesting, really rewarding. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. And and yeah, if you're if you're enjoying this podcast, then please um, help us share it. Um, also, offer us a five star review um, if you're enjoying it. And please just um, share it because we're, we're 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 desperate to uh, keep getting the word out and keep growing the um, the base. But thanks very much for listening. Thank you. Thank you.